Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, yumpin' Jesus. We're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 26, which begins with Max demanding the return of his vehicle, and it ends with Master calling for Thunderdome. When last we joined Max, he was in the middle of a crowd of people, pointing his finger at a guy who was huge, holding a guy who was not so huge, and he was yelling that they are riding on his vehicle. He continues today, saying... And I want it back. He sounds like a petulant child who wants his toy back. This is a minute full of want. Yes, it is. We start off this minute with Max saying that he wants his vehicle. We end this minute with Master yelling, we want Thunderdome. (laughs) This is essentially the I want song trope from any Disney princess movie. Yet there's no music and neither of them are princesses. Wait, no, Max is a fairy princess. That's right. I forgot about that. Yes. (laughs) Therefore, he gets his I Want song. Yeah. Which are usually the best songs of the Disney movies. Yeah, this one is rather disappointing in that it's incredibly short, has no music, and... It has saxophone music. Yeah, but it's not like... It just has no lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Mel Gibson sang a lot more about exploring during pocahontas than he ever sings about wanting his vehicle in thunderdome (laughs) all of his life he has searched for a car like that one a wild and more challenging vehicle he could never design except he did design it with hundreds of dangers that await and he can't wait i don't want to miss them oh he doesn't want to okay it's been a while since we watched pocahontas (laughs) i don't remember the lyrics you were doing really well up till then i was trying so i feel like this is a legitimate demand though because the vehicle was taken from Max under duress more or less he was knocked over not really knocked out but disabled enough that he was at a physical disadvantage and so in modern society if there were no apocalypse he would have recourse to get that vehicle back but in this instance we've got to go through weird channels and whatnot and so he's starting off not necessarily asking nicely i don't hear the magic word he's not saying please i'm not saying it would have worked i'm saying it would have helped though well i think he's had enough interaction with master blaster to know that that's not appropriate language right now yeah you want to know how many rabbit pelts it costs to be polite though none (laughs) has max ever been polite i'm pretty sure if we went back to the first movie we could probably find an example of him being polite like ever saying please or thank you didn't he thank ziggy for coming to retrieve the hand that was attached to the back of their wagon he might have he it's might been have. so long that yeah. i couldn't possibly remember but he might have yeah if i go back and do like a word search for thank you or please it might turn up something i'm not entirely <laughs> sure what but i'm pretty sure i still have easy access to the subtitles for each of those movies so yeah i see your point though that a little bit of manners can go a long way and is never misplaced but i'm also very much seeing where you're coming from because i don't think even if max had asked please even pretty please with a cherry on top i'm pretty sure master would have given the exact same response the response that we see him 
give here where he says hearing wonky sounds like an order. The only order that this sounds like is something you would say at a drive-thru, like telling someone I want a number one with a Coke and a number three with a Sprite. I feel like if Master is saying specifically that this sounds like a command, I feel like it's an implied command, it's not an explicit command, but now I'm just splitting hairs with semantics. You are, <laughs> and I see your point, but you're splitting hairs. Yeah, I think what Master is really trying to do here is to be a showman. He's trying to play this up to the crowd because Max in front of everyone assembled here has called him out. And so now it's Master's job to shame Max back into the throngs. Yeah. Master Blaster has the upper hand because... The crowd loves him right now. They are partying. More or less in his honor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They are partying in his honor. So Max is already the villain, but the underdog can quickly become the crowd favorite too quickly. Yeah. Too quickly can things turn around. So Master wants to make sure that Max is still seen as a fool mm. and someone who is powerless and doesn't know how things work here. Yeah, I love that when he makes his hearing wonky thing, he's not talking to Max. He's talking to the crowd. Right. It's like that thing people do. They're like, oh, did did you hear something? I, I thought I might have heard something. <laughs> Which is a very belittling move. Oh, absolutely. It is a power play. In response to Master being sarcastic, Max more or less agrees with him, saying, yeah, that was an order. And that prompts Master to jump into his next... <laughs> statement and jumping seems appropriate because he yells yumping yeezus him sad brain broken so i looked at the yumping yeezus thing okay you said it was a thing it's a thing i mean it's not like a famous phrase where i can tell you where the origin is and stuff like that but i know i got a little bit about it so jumping jesus is a common exclamation of surprise it's a thing people all around the world say. So master replaces the J with a Y, which is very common in Germanic languages and also in Hebrew. Really? And I'm sure other languages as well. But the Hebrew one is what sparked my interest because the accent that he puts on reminded me of the Vlasic pickle guy. Okay. Yeah. The stork? Or... The stork. Okay. Yeah, the stork. So that accent is stereotypically Jewish. Okay. So he's doing a stereotypically Jewish accent with a Jewish pronunciation of yumping Jesus, hmm. turning his J's into Y's. And it's all done very sarcastically and loosely. So it's a really a not nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that we would say nowadays. Yeah. I don't think the millennials have picked it up as a common turn of phrase or anything like that. No. <laughs> After claiming that Max's brain is broken, he offers to explain to the crowd, he says, this my vehicle. And a funny little detail that I noticed, Blaster still has Sally Ann on a string. She is there in this scene. And when Master specifically says, this my vehicle, you can see that Sally Ann starts slapping Blaster's legs. Well, no, just one leg that she's sitting on, but she starts slapping it with both of her little hands. Like, it makes her agitated that Master is publicly claiming Max's vehicle as his own. Oh, oh, I like that. I'm willing to bet that it was not intentional, but oh. I like that it's there. Yes. <laughs> one of those rare occurrences where Sally Ann actually did cooperate, even if it was unintentional. 
Right. It can be made to fit into the narrative. Exactly. Master says that Max's brain is broken. And I'm assuming he's talking about Max when he says brain broken. Yeah. Okay. So I think he's saying that Max is too simple to understand that Master now owns this vehicle. And that Max is too simple to understand how things work here in Bartertown. Hmm. And therefore needs it explained to him. Hence, this my vehicle, you pedestrian. Which is kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, Master has a lot of nerve making a broken brain jab at someone when the most important person in his life, namely Blaster, has a mental deficiency. And he just goes around tossing out these derogatory terms directly related to mental retardation and things like that. Normally, not in post-apocalyptic situations, people that have family members that, you know, have developmental disabilities. For instance, my niece has Down syndrome. So I'm not going to run around and make jokes about Down syndrome people because A, I'm not a jerk, and B, I know someone who has Down syndrome. And it's not something that should be joked about. You know, your brother was born with severe mental... Retardation? Yes. But we were kind of the opposite. (laughs) We didn't joke about mental retardation about other people, but we did joke about it within our own family. I guess, I don't know, maybe as a coping mechanism? We just didn't take it too seriously. It just, it was what it was, and... Well, I think the main thing, the difference between your brother and my niece is that my niece is able to have a lot of independence on her own. Like, she's able to move and interact with the world. I mean, your brother, not only was he severely mentally handicapped, but also physically handicapped. And so it was a lot of responsibility on you, your sister, and your parents to make sure that he was taken care of. Yeah. So that generates a lot of stress. And yeah. of course, one of the best ways to relieve stress is by humor. Yep. I, having never met your brother, <laughs> I believe that he probably would have a pretty good sense of humor about it. Knowing your family yes. and how you all interact, yes. I can't imagine him being any different. Yeah. Yes, we, I think we have a fairly morbid sense of humor because of my brother, because we experienced those things and just, yeah, that's just how we handled it. But we never jabbed at people the way that we would jab at our own family. We would never jab at anybody outside our family like that. Right. That dark sense of humor was mostly contained within our our family circle or our friend circle, people who knew us and understood why we were joking about things like that. We would never joke like that to outsiders. Yeah. So we would never jab at Max saying that his brain is broken while we have a family member whose brain is broken. Right. That's horrible. It's another example of Master just being a bad person. Yes, it really is. Like he is a proud, obnoxious, self- absorbed tyrant more or less yeah he is a bad person this movie is full of bad people (laughs) that's what i'm trying to say and master is one of them it is (laughs) that increases my dilemma that i've been feeling as we've been getting to know master blaster that by the end of this movie master is no longer a villain He's He's, definitely relegated to a side character. Yeah, yeah. He's on the good side and you kind of root for him. 
Uh, I don't know. His turn is very odd. Yeah, it's hard to say. He basically goes from being an antagonistic character to just being a MacGuffin. Yeah, a little bit. Like he gets downplayed into a prop. Yes, he does. Which is not great. No. As far as movies are concerned, but. No, it's not great. But I think that's what Auntie wanted the whole time. Yeah. To reduce him from being a powerful figure to being a tool, an object. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into it once we finally get to that part of the movie. But by the end, there's a lot happening. And I don't think everybody involved really has a great understanding of why those things are happening. They just are. Yeah. (laughs) Max is literally along for the ride. He knows that there are a few criteria that need to be met in order for them to consider their venture successful. But other than that, they're just kind of winging it. But in the meantime, Master is just digging himself into a moral hole. Yeah. They may be sitting high up, but they don't have the high ground. No. All in all, as far as this scene is concerned, I find it interesting to see Master play to a crowd because he's confident in his delivery and he's certainly speaking up for the crowd to hear, but he's still using that simplified speech pattern that he uses. Yeah, you know. It's just weird to hear. It is. We came up with some theories as to why he talks like that, but I still don't understand. None of the theories that we thought of really fit. Mm-hmm. into his overall speech pattern of the movie and the different people that he talks to. I just don't get it. Yeah. You can tell that he's trying to be funny, even though he's using his simplified dialect. But even so, like with his pedestrian comment, he's coming off as his regular haughty and condescending self. It's not endearing. You definitely get the sense that Blaster is not a good leader for Barter Town. <laughs> No. And the people are laughing when they're supposed to laugh. Mm -hmm. But it feels like they're laughing because Master Blaster provided them this party. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you're at the company party and the boss makes a joke, even if it's a terrible joke, you laugh. Yes. Because it's the company party and the boss just made a joke. (laughs) So Master orders the chauffeur in the driver's seat to drive on. Max's response to that is to leap up onto the wagon and he grabs at something. And we don't see what he grabs onto until the next shot. But he pulls something up off the vehicle. There must be some sort of important pipe that he's able to grab a hold of because he leaps up there, grabs onto something. And then when we switch angles to look over Blaster's shoulder, at max he has a pipe that he's ripped up and out of the engine do you think that's an important piece like the engine will no longer work possibly think it was he grabbed it more as a weapon considering that it's his vehicle he probably has a very specific knowledge of how it works and so he probably knows easy ways to disable it or at least make it so that it isn't functioning at peak efficiency so it might be that he's doing that it might just be that he's ripping it off as a gesture to show how serious he is Hmm. whatever reason he pulls that piece out of the engine and whatever purpose he has for it he doesn't really get much of a chance to fulfill any of that because blaster very quickly grabs max around the neck once more this already happened like once or twice down in underworld well now we're up in barter town and it's happening again max instantly freezes he doesn't try and move around too much i think he has a sense of what's happening master says three seconds break neck so master i think he's still operating under the assumption that he is the big boss like he is an underworld not realizing 
guessing that he's up on the surface and therefore subject to barter town laws. That does lead me to question specifically about the Thunderdome law. Does that law apply down in Underworld? I'm willing to bet it doesn't. If two people have a dispute, even if Master Blaster isn't one of the people, just two other people have a dispute, can they call on Thunderdome? Or does Master Blaster just come over decide the dispute right then and there and it's over i'm willing to bet that if you have two workers that are down in underworld and they have a dispute if they want they can leave well unless they're chained up but if they want they would have to leave petition auntie for thunderdome and then thunderdome would happen but if they're having a dispute and master blaster walks over i think the situation you mentioned of master blaster just ending it right there in whatever way he thinks is right. I think that is exactly what would happen. Hmm. So the collector's talk of the rule of law is kind of a load of crap. How do you mean? Bartertown and Underworld. Yes, they have two separate names and they kind of have two separate leaders. Are they two separate towns? Do well, they have a different set of laws and different leadership and different consequences and arbitration methods? I'm willing to bet that Underworld is absolutely part of Bartertown and therefore subject to Bartertown's laws. However, I'm also willing to bet that Master Blaster sees Underworld as his sovereign domain. That it may not be official, but I'm willing to bet he sees it that way. Which is why, out in the open, he has Blaster ready to break Max's neck. He forgets himself for a moment. He does. And I wonder what good is a law if it doesn't extend to the entirety of the people it's meant to extend to. Well, I mean, a law is only a law if it's followed and enforced. I think, yes, Auntie has positioned guards in Underworld, but when you're dealing with a situation where might equals right as opposed to right equaling might, I think it's kind of hard to try and put Master in his place when Master will just pitch a fit and cause an embargo. I think it's one of the reasons why Auntie is so dead set on humbling Master and getting him to fall in line. I'm willing to bet these little episodes of insubordination, I think we've said this before, but not new. Right. Okay. I think if we were more educated in the philosophy of government and ruling and laws, we could have some really interesting conversation about this government that is set up because... There are some serious problems with it. Oh, absolutely. They're a catchphrase-based rule of law. (laughs) There's got to be some sort of rule about killing outside of the Thunderdome. Uh, I don't think we ever hear a slogan for it, but the fact that they collect weapons and they stop Blaster in this scene, there's got to be some sort of slogan. I tried to think up some good ones, but they were really hard. So I came up with trading good graces, don't break faces. That seemed like a good one. Um, On your trading fling, don't kill a thing. Also seemed legit. Or if you're a big fan of the band, the Georgia Satellites, you can go with, don't you give me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. So (laughs) I like that one. They didn't actually release that song until 1986. So that one's kind of sketchy as far as it applying to Thunderdome, but Eh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The whole series is set a few years from now and then 20 years past that for this movie. So right. I think we're safe. I think we're safe. I mentioned the guards stopping Blaster and we get to see that in this next cut where several and I say several there's there's a lot of guards eight maybe they surround master blaster with guns and weapons drawn and then we kind of pull out from that and we see iron bar approach and call them out we hear a lot of sounds that are supposed to be guns i guess 
cocking to fire because it's a movie. And if you don't hear that sound effect, how are you going to know that that gun is about to be fired? Even though in reality, that's not how it works. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Stop myself from digressing. What am I talking about? <laughs> There's another possibility that maybe these guns are just really rickety, and so they're rattling around and whatnot, but the thing that stood out to me is that amongst all of these guns, there's one guard with just an axe that he's holding up to blaster, and it's like, okay, buddy, did you lose your allowance? Did you get your gun taken away? <laughs> Cut off those corners of the totem chip? <laughs> well... To play devil's advocate, Toe Cutter taught us how much you can do with an axe. Yeah. Now, his wasn't exactly an axe. It was more of a butcher knife, but it's the same principle. Right. <laughs> it's just funny that everybody has these big old weapons. There's a couple of guys that just have shotguns, and this guy's got an axe. Yep. <laughs> And it's not even an axe on the end of a gun. Oh, no. Another interesting thing about all of these guards surrounding Blaster is that some of them are positioned kind of behind Max, and so they're inadvertently pointing their guns at Max, too. I guess it's a good way to discourage Max from trying to pull a fast one and get a cheap shot in on Blaster. So there's that. This was all set up and led by Iron Bar, who has very recently been the victim of Max's hmm. speed and cunning. Yeah. So I don't think he trusts Max at all. So I genuinely believe that some of those guns were legitimately pointed at Max. Yeah. I have been thinking about that a little bit. I don't think Iron Bar really has a lot of ire raised against Max. I think Iron Bar was probably annoyed that he got flung off the tower, but the way he was just hanging around and the general level of attention that he's been giving Max ever since, I don't think he really thinks much of him. No, I agree. He's definitely not as obsessed with him as Wes. No. <laughs> Wes was way more obsessed with Max. Yes. And I, yeah, I do kind of expect Iron Bar to hate Max because Max overpowered, not so much overpowered, but outmaneuvered yeah. Iron Bar. But yeah, you're right. Iron Bar doesn't really seem to care that much. Mm -hmm. He walks into this scene and he shouts Master Blaster. And I kind of feel like the more time I spend around Iron Bar, the more I like him. I agree. I, I really like this moment when he says, Master Blaster, listen to the law. Oh my. Oh my gosh it's yes so magnificent he's like a revivalist preacher giving a sermon it's gorgeous when he shouts listen to the law and he points up to the penthouse and does that slow turn thing that is such a rock star move yeah it really is i love he holds his hand up the whole time mm -hmm. okay a while back when we were talking about iron bar during the opening credits and iron bar during his little thing where we talked about angry anderson specifically we talked about how he was a member of rose tattoo the songs that i made you listen to uh -huh. were Angry Anderson's solo work. I went back and listened to him as the lead singer of Rose Tattoo, and you know how I love ACDC. Yes, I do. Angry Anderson as the lead singer of Rose Tattoo has a very ACDC feel to him. Oh. They're not quite as good, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to rate Rose Tattoo right there alongside ACDC, maybe like a step or two down, but he's got that same kind of vocal performance. And getting back to the minute, just when he shouts and when he points, I love that little move that he's doing here. Yes. For a moment, he stole the show. Oh, absolutely. But... Not for long, because as he is wont to do, the collector has to chime in, and he shouts up to the penthouse yelling, Auntie, 
two men in dispute as if auntie wasn't paying attention to everything that was going on down here. This feels almost ceremonial. It feels rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, like certain things are supposed to be said. There's a way to go about declaring Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. And that process has started. And so we're going to go step by step until Thunderdome is declared. Yep. I love how everything is very spread out. But at the same time, it's still very close. Like, they're within shouting distance. And I wouldn't even say that Auntie is doing a lot of shouting in her proclamations. And it reminds me that Barter Town is not that big of a place. It's not. I remember looking at the set photos from MadMaxMovies.com, and Barter Town is not huge. So it's very believable that they would be down next to the dome, and Auntie would just be speaking loudly at them yes like it makes sense and two things about that first of all that's what tina turner does for a living oh absolutely she knows how to project exactly also the way her penthouse is shaped from an untrained eye i'm guessing that it is acoustically advantageous like she's standing inside of a big megaphone yes <laughs> i love how she is lit in this scene that there is this big light coming from inside the penthouse and she steps forward from the shadow and she's just surrounded by light. Yes. Like a beacon. This is absolutely one of the iconic scenes from this movie, from mm -hmm. all of the Mad Max franchise and from all of the 80s. This is one of the iconic scenes. Of her just appearing. Yes. In the penthouse. It's great. And from off screen, we hear Master start saying, these are witness, auntie. Us suffer bad. Us want justice. Which is a oh. phrase that I imagine erupts from every internet troll when someone calls them out on their BS. <laughs> Us want justice. Us we want suffer Thunderdome. bad. <laughs> and as you said, Master says we want Thunderdome. And I kind of feel like it's lucky for Auntie that Master Blaster demanded Thunderdome. Because if they had suddenly decided to let Max have his vehicle back, Max would have had to invented a new thing to fight over. Like if Master was in an uncharacteristically generous and humble mood that day. It would be really tricky for Max to, like, rattle his ire. I mean, based on the kind of character he is, that would never happen. No, but it... It would be really funny if it did it happen that way. It would have happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> Max says, that's my vehicle. I want it back. And Master Blaster goes, okay, you can have it back. And then Max would have been like, oh, crap. Um, huh. Now I got to pick a fight another way. Yeah. <laughs> be like... You moved my seat. I had my seat in a very specific section. You changed it. Now I'm angry at you. <laughs> oh. And of course, Master says, we want Thunderdome. I think it's interesting how he says, us suffer bad. Us want justice. And then switches to the correct grammar to say, we want Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, we know he can. We know that he knows how to talk correctly. Yeah. He's choosing not to. Do you want to know what I want? What you really, really want? I'll tell you what I want. What you really, really want? I love how you've set me up for one song and I have fake answers that are from a million other songs. <laughs> like, I was going to say, I want to know what love is. Because <laughs> Foreigner was the first thing that popped to mind. I would also very much want you to want me if I'm in a cheap trick mood. Or I could just want it that way if we want to go to the 90s. If you want to go classic, I just want to break free like Queen. I also want to hold your hand Aww. like the Beatles. I also want a new drug because of Huey Lewis in the news. Or like literally everybody, I want to rule the world like Tears for Fears. Oh my gosh. That was glorious. 
You didn't really want a zigazigga? Not really. Oh. <laughs> I'll take a rain check on the zigazigga. <laughs> in fact, we're probably in a really good position to take a rain check because Master has just requested Thunderdome. We want Thunderdome. He doesn't want a zigazigga. And we're left with a little over half a second of Auntie just standing there backlit in the penthouse looking down on this situation. So we are going to put a pin in this minute. We're going to come back on Friday. We're going to hear Auntie out and see what she has to say about this situation. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 26 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody!